Dregs One. Welcome to another episode of the History of the Bay podcast, sponsored by the good people of Amoeba Music San Francisco. Also got a shout out to folks at Dying Breed San Francisco. Go see them on 24th Street for all your graffiti supplies. Also shout out my folks at SNS Worldwide for keeping me laced with all types of dope hats. And my folks at Derby of San Francisco for keeping me laced with gear all the time. Behind the lens, we got King Said on the boards. We got DEO. And today, we got another special guest. We keep hitting y'all with legendary guests. This man right here who I'm about to introduce has been a critical part of the Bay Area hip-hop scene for decades now, emerging in the, as part of the hyphy movement or the new Bay, if you will, going on to represent as one of the top lyricists in the Bay Area on the West Coast. Some would say in all of hip-hop, period. And he's been representing for us for a long time, so it's my pleasure to introduce the one and only Locksmith. Man, thank you. Great introduction. I appreciate that. Of course. Happy to be here. I'm a fan of the uh, fan of the podcast and fan of the show. Right on, man. Well, I, you know, I appreciate I appreciate the support. Yeah, for and, sure. And um, I appreciate you pulling up. This It's always exciting, like, Doing this podcast, I get to talk to everybody. Yeah, that's dope, man. I don't stay in one But area, I, I got to give city. you your props. You have an extensive knowledge of the Bay Area. Like, I see you, even the videos. That you, I don't know what kind of research you're doing, if you're just pulling it from memory. But I was like, oh, I, you know what I mean? That's how I even got... I mean, I didn't even put it together. I know that DEO, y'all was doing the podcast, but then I put it together like, oh, this is what he was talking about. So I just think it's, uh, it's dope. Thank you, bro. Dope. Thank you, man. Yeah, you know, um, we're all passionate about hip-hop. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're passionate about something, it shows. It shows, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And you're big on content, too. Yes, I sir. See. So I think you understand how that translates into what you put out on social media. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like we always do, I'd like to start at the very beginning because we're talking history. So let's take them back to Richmond, California. And uh, I believe you have a unique upbringing being half Iranian mm-hmm. and half black. Yes, sir. So what was uh, what was it like growing up uh, with that kind of family in Richmond? You know, growing up at the time, it was good. You know, my mother is uh, African-American. She had came from, I think, Chicago at the time, you know, obviously before I was born, and then met my father here in the Bay Area who had probably just came here. You know what I mean? He came and, straight from Iran. Yeah, he mm-hmm. came from Iran. Um before the before the revolution. Okay. So and most people are when you meet Iranians or Persians that are here in, you know, the United States or, you know, specifically California, they all came after. My father was here before. Mm. Met my mom, had been married, and then um my mom already had children from her previous marriage. And then they were living, I wanna say probably like in Berkeley, El Cerrito, and then moved to Richmond. And then um, had me, and then, yeah, I, I came up in Richmond, and uh, this happened to be, you know, they moved to Crescent Park <laughs> housing projects, <laughs> but which wasn't really that bad at the time. You got to understand, the early 80s, things hadn't really got gotten really that bad, and then when you start getting to, like, I guess, I don't know, probably like 87, 88, right. 89, that's when you start seeing the effects of what would be, you know, that we would later term like the crack the, epidemic. Yeah, the Reagan era. Exactly, mm-hmm. the Reagan. You, or you saw the effects of the Reagan era um, all the way until like to the 90s. But yeah, so that's what it was. And then eventually we end up moving to um, 
I want to say my senior year of high school, we end up moving to El Sobrante, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Which is like a little bit of a suburb. And yep. I, I hated it. At, you know, I was just like, why are we moving out here to this little country area? I did everything I could to make sure I could get back into Richmond. Um, but that probably was like the best thing for me at that time because it just, my mom was like seeing all the violence and stuff that was going on in Richmond. Um, people that was probably a little bit older than me um, died. Um, even some of my peers um, I had a relative, a cousin who got murdered maybe a few years after that. Well, you know, maybe like five or six years after that. Um, so it, all these things, my mom was like, look, she kind of basically forced my father's hand. Like, listen, we need to get out of Richmond now. Like my father's one of those people that was just like, oh, we have to have everything in place. But my mom was like, nah, we need to get out of here now. Look at what's going on. And I rapped about it in, in certain songs. But yeah, that was like kind of like the beginning of it's like, okay, look, we need to see different things. So yeah, that, that was, a, I think that was a pivotal thing. Just kind of like protecting, you know, our family from the violence that was, you know, eventually going to plague that area. Was it also challenging being biracial in that environment in terms of not knowing exactly where you fit in or acceptance from different family members or? So the very, the, the, all of my childhood and my young adulthood was completely black. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like my father, maybe one other cousin was here. So for all intents and purposes, like I consider myself black. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew that I was half Persian because my father was there, but culturally I was black. You, you, know? Don't, you don't speak Farsi or anything like that. Just a little. What, yeah. Once, you know, that's a, that's a later on in the story, but early on, like I just consider myself black. You know, um, my brothers and sisters were black. So my mama was black. So I'm like, okay, this is what I am. I, right, you know, right. I understood that my father was Persian, but like I said, culturally I was black. And then later on when I went to college, I ended up going to UC Berkeley and um, I started studying Near Eastern studies. And some of my father's relatives started moving out here. My grandmother came to live with us, my uncles. And then I started understanding more. I mean, I already was aware of it and was understanding my grandmother didn't speak any English. So I had to start learning and picking up things in Farsi to understand her. And it kind of like, and at the same time, I was taking these classes at Cal, UC Berkeley, learning about, um, you know, just Iran and early Iranian and Persian history. And uh, yeah, so it just kind of expanded my horizons about just, international and global things. That's dope. I mean, that's uh, that's definitely one thing about the Bay Area that I always say makes it special is that diversity, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And it bleeds through in everything, culture, music, everything. Yes. You know, the Bay is very diverse. Well, speaking of music, um, your sister was a rapper or yep. is a rapper. She was a rapper. She was yeah. a rapper. MC Spice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so my sister was rapping, I want to say, when I was like... Late grammar school or maybe uh, middle school. So she started rapping. She was a dancer. So, okay, we're going, this is the Bay Area. So, this is a Bay Area podcast. So, we can go deep into it. Yes. So, my sister's best friend was an artist by the name of Rashima. Rashima is the singer that's on Mac Mall's Wide Open. She was in a group. They were in a group of rappers. I don't know what they was called. So you remember the singer Passion, the rapper Passion? You know. <laughs> remind, remind me of a song that she sounds was signed, familiar. I mean, green, I 
she was signed. She was a major label artist. She she was signed. Um, she had. I don't want to say she had a lot. The Bay Area was behind her, but before she got her solo deal, she was in a group with Rashima. And I want to say two other girls. And then I think my sister was a dancer for them. So they was kind of all like in this collective. So that was like early, early on. And then my sister started rapping and she started doing her. My sister was a rapper and a singer. But, you know, she was more pushing the rapper line at that time. But she could sing too. And I used to like encourage her like, yo, you need to sing your own stuff, you know. But she was a rapper and she ended up, I want to say she started off doing talent shows with like um, Black Alicious. Um, Prophets of Rage, remember them? They was from the East Bay. Um, but uh, yeah, so she was doing stuff. Even, I want to say she did some shows with E-40. Um, when she was dancing, I want to say they opened up for Digital Underground and stuff like that. So I, I used to go to these shows mm. and see her doing that. And then when she started doing her rap thing, I remember seeing her her notebook, writing raps. She took it very seriously. She ended up touring, going overseas. Um Performing at all these different showcases, uh, one of the most notable memories I remember was, um, and it kind of, I guess this kind of was my introduction to really getting into hip hop too. She came back from the Gavin Showcase. You know, you remember the Gavin, yes, yes. which was a, a, um, a, a music convention here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And she was either performing or she, you know, she was, you know, going to the Gavin and she came back and she's like, yeah, everybody was talking about this rapper named Nas, you know what I mean? This Nas, so this had to be like 93, 94, 93, right. whenever Nas... I think Nas, Illmatic came out in 94. Yeah, so yeah. this had to be like 93 or mm-hmm. maybe beginning of 94, and she was like, yo, everybody's talking about this guy Nas, and, and I was like, what's that? And then I remember seeing, they had like a thing on like 2020 or 60 Minutes about Nas, and I was like, oh, this is that guy that my sister was talking about, and then we really got into... I just thought, you know, I just, I was like, this is the dopest shit I've ever heard, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like from a lyrical standpoint I didn't even know what I was listening to at the point but I was like I want to if I want to if I would rap I would want to rap like that you know so that was an early early influence that was early influence for sure so what what ended up happening to your sister's rap career my sister so she she ended up she continued to perform so you know she ended up getting married okay having kids Um, she was still rapping but obviously things are a little more difficult so she made the decision to focus more on her education, start a career, and then rap kind of slowly faded. But it was just like weird at the same time. I want to say probably like 98, 97 is when I start dibbling, dabbling in rap, you know? And um, and then that's how, you know, but yeah, she she kind of um, family. I was just say family and life kind of yeah, like took yeah, the yeah. precedent. Yeah, it happens. It happens, it happens sometimes. Yep. Um, <laughs> But that's cool. So that I'm sure that was inspiring. Were you already <clears throat> were you already passionate about hip hop in your own way? Or yeah, I mean, I always loved music. I mean, my house was very musical. You know, um, mom's playing music. Sister, my brother, my, my cousin Shaft. Shout out to Shaft. He was a DJ. I didn't even realize it at this time, but I was participating in all forms of hip hop. You know, because you know, in the '80s, the late '80s, early '90s. You know, we were still breakdancing. We would, you know, I remember in Crescent Park, we, we it was like a talent contest and they had a DJ out there, you know, and I was in the talent. We, Me and my boys was dancing. We was competing in the talent contest. Um, my cousin was DJing, but my sister, so I will say my two biggest influences were my two, was my brother and my sister. My brother's hip hop taste was more EPMD. Okay. BDP. 
Mm-hmm. Care, uh, you know, BDB Karis one, Big Daddy Kane. My sister was more too short, easy E. Like her influences that she, that wasn't her style of rapping, but that's what she listened to. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in the car with her, I'm listening to Easy Does It. I remember hearing that, like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. I can't believe how much he cussing, but it was dope. Mm-hmm. My brother, I was like listening to EPMD and Big Daddy Kane. I'm like, this is the most incredible rapping I've heard. So I didn't realize, but those things would definitely have an influence on me eventually, you know? Anytime I talk to an artist from Richmond, uh, and we've had a, a few on the podcast so far, we shout out to uh, Mac Magic Mike. And Magic Mike. Shout out to uh, Silky. Silky. Silk, to- Silky is part of my story, too. <laughs> okay. How, well, how, does that come in later, or you want to... Yeah, we can get it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we can get that comes later, but okay, yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Let's, let's put a bookmark on that. But, yeah. um... And then, yeah, also, we just had Kevin Allen on here. Um, so I like to always ask... Shout out to Eric, Kevin yes, Allen. Yes, sir. I like to ask folks from the rich um, what hip-hop from Richmond in particular was an early influence or inspiration to you. You know, the early stuff like Filthy Phil and all that stuff, I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say that that's what I was listening to heavy. Um... I was just kind of like, I want to say in those years, I was not really super big on even hip hop. I was more into basketball. You know what I mean? I was hooping. So I was just listening to music from a peripheral standpoint. My early years, um, I mean, you had like, I remember watching K-Cloud. I don't know if you know who that is. I've heard the name. Yeah. Yeah, um, DJ Ozone. He lived right behind my house in Crescent Park. Like he, you know what I mean? So they was doing stuff with K-Cloud. Uh, which was affiliated with Digital Underground, you know, Shock G and them. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, so my best friend who would end up being in the group, you know, uh, forming a group, Frontline Left, his uncle was um, the founder of Sin. I did not know that. Yeah, so we were, you know, so early on, we saw him rapping, doing his thing, pressing up um, vinyl, pressing up CDs, uh, Sibo coming to the house. I remember um, uh, Sibo had left some some um, some shoes or something at the house, and they was just sitting there for months. And we was like, uh, Left was like, man, fuck, we need to take these back to Foot Locker and get some money. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I remember doing that. But these were the things. Forty, um, you know, uh, Jay Jonah. That that's yeah, that yeah. was Left Shout Uncle to Jay, Jay Jonah. Jonah. Mm-hmm. So Jay Jonah ended up getting locked up, but they had made this incredible album, which is like considered a Richmond classic. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Ninety four mobsters. And um, so we were just kind of left with that. So that was kind of like our soundtrack. And then I want to say in high school, I mean, shit, Master P. Mm-hmm. You know, we were listening to Master P. Um, uh, well, Master P would come around to high school. He would come around to our school, pass out CDs, you know. Um, uh, what was the song? Uh, West Coast Bad Boys. Yeah. I think that, you know, he had those albums. And then the yeah, Ghetto's Trying, to, Ghetto's yeah, trying yeah. to Kill Me, mm-hmm. Silk the Shocker. I played basketball against Silk the Shocker mm-hmm. in high school. Um I remember I dunked on him, you know. Oh, shit. <laughs> Silk, Silk, you know, I ain't lying. Um, but yeah, so this was all kind of our little, you know, mosh posh of things going on at the time. But still, I was not rapping at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, rapping for me didn't come until after um, a little bit later. So you, know? you, you just mentioned left, and uh, I thought I read that y'all met, actually met through basketball. Yeah, we met. Okay. Yeah, we was best friends. We still are best friends since. Uh, junior high mm-hmm. Yeah but we wasn't Rapping or anything like that He was rapping before me Probably like In the high school Right after high school But um Yeah Did you have uh, Real aspirations About playing professionally Or playing college ball 
college for sure. Yeah. And I did have opportunities. Like I, I, I was getting, I started getting some recruitment from um, Fresno State. I went, I played one year at Contra Costa College um, and had a good year. Fresno State was interested. Um, I think one, a school in Texas or something like that. But by that time I was starting to, so then this transition into music. This is when I start really heavy getting into music. And I was just like, well, I want to finish my education, but maybe ball is not, you know what I mean? And I had a mentor at the time who was just like, um, who was just like, hey, look, if you want to go to college, you should try. If you, if you, I always wanted to go to UC Berkeley right. because growing up, it was right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had OGs and mentors that were going to UC Berkeley and it kind of showed us the way. So I didn't get a scholarship from UC Berkeley, but in my mind, I was like, all right, I'll go to community college for a couple of years, transfer, maybe I could walk on. But by the time I got to that point, I wasn't really super enthusiastic about basketball no more, but I wanted to further my education. So, um, and then at that same point in time, I started getting heavy into music, started heavy, like wanting to really like, yo, this is fun. I want to try this, you know? What was it that just made the music click for you like that? So left at the time, so it used to be three of us in a group. Left, Locksmith, and the unknown member, Hot Lips. <laughs> <laughs> So, but we weren't a group at the time. It was just them two rapping. Mm-hmm. And actually, we used to come out here to San Francisco. We had a homie that lived behind Stonestown Mall. You know them apartments behind Stonestown? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. by San Francisco State. Right, right behind Stonestown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They was like, hey, I was like, what y'all doing? They was like, oh, we writing these raps. I was like, well, I want to try that. But they was like, well, nah, we, we, y'all, you ain't ready for this. I'm like, well, come on, let me come through, you know? So they brought me along and I saw them rapping. So then the next time I was like, I'm going I'm to come with something. And um, they let me, you know, left kind of encouraged me. He's like, man, just try it. Just go and give it a try. So I came out here. So we came out here. We start coming out here every weekend to the um, to the homie spot, um, Kamal, uh, which is right behind um, San Francisco, uh, right behind Stonestown Mall. And we would just come hang out at the mall and we would go to the house and record. And every day, you know, I mean, every weekend, I would just try to get a little bit better and better. And they were more advanced than me. You know, they already know how to structure bars and write bars. I was just r- r- rhyming anything. But I, I just, I still didn't consider like it being like a career. I just wanted to get better. You know, I just, every day, I just wanted, I would just want to be dope. I want to be as good as, you know, the best lyricist that I considered to be, you know, at that time, um, which was Nas. You know, mm-hmm. I just thought Nas was like, like I said, you know, in the 90s, you know, his poetic, you know, delivery and all that. I was like, I want to be dope like that. So, um, yeah, we were just trying to... um just trying to get better, you know? Okay, so that's the early early stages Very of, early, of Frontline. Yeah. Recording in the closet. And we you, weren't even Frontline yet. We're just okay, always rapping. Okay, Yeah. And you did transfer to UC Berkeley. I was probably just starting in U... I was either in UC Berkeley or just starting at that time. And yeah. uh, what, what did you major in? African-American studies. Nice. Yeah. I got a degree in that too. Oh, dope. San Francisco dope. State. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so you graduate. Yep. Get your degree. But I'm still rapping. So right. my time in Berkeley, this is when I start taking rapping super seriously. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I'm going to school, but on the weekends, we go into the studio and we're trying to get better. We're trying to get better. And um, one day it kind of clicked. It was like, yo, Lockett got better. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what happened. It's just the practice. And it was like, oh. And then we recorded our first um, like song because at that point we were just recording on like a little four track cassette thing or eight track. I don't know, whatever it was. And then, then eventually, um, I got better. And then we decided to record like a. Um, we decided we was gonna make a demo, 
And um and and at that point, the homie Kamal had um upgraded to like an ADAP machine. So we just wasn't recording on tape, and we recorded our first song. And um, that's end up how I get I uh, end up getting my name because I just said something like I'm a lyrical locksmith, and then left, and they were just like, "That's gonna be your name." And I was like, nah, that's trash. I want a name like, you know, like something like, because he was left. I was like, that sounds cool. Like, it's just left. And then Hot Lips, it was kind of weird, but it kind of like, I don't know. It was kind of like, you know, it, it stuck out. And I was like, Locksmith, that sounds like some, you know, weird stuff. But um, it just kind of stuck with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It stuck with me. So at that at that point, are you are you seeing the possibility of a career or are you like more so pursuing a job that, like goes in line with what you just graduated in? Or? Yeah, so at that point, I think I played a demo for my sister. Mm-hmm. One of our first like songs, a few songs that we had recorded. And she was like, she didn't even know I was rapping. She was like, this is really good. She was like, what y'all doing? I was like, I don't know. She was like, let me manage you. Oh, wow. So my sister, who was a rapper now, was like, look, let me manage you. Let me take control. So she um kind of like, because I knew she had connections with certain things, like, you know, because she was already doing music. So she definitely had local connections and things like that. And um, she was just basically like, let me manage you. And she connected us with another guy who like, who knew how to burn CDs, which was a big deal back then. You know, like oh, yeah. somebody could burn oh, a yeah. CD. It was like, what? You know how to make CDs? <laughs> um, so she kind of like brought a team in and we would take trips down to LA. And this is kind of how I um, can segue into us Silky. Mm, okay. Left had met Silky, and this was when Silky was on the cut, or she had just about to go on the cut, and she told Left about it. And um, and Silky was already kind of making noise because I think she was um she was doing stuff with um what's the group, the dude that was on the um that was on the um uh, the, the cut with um uh, G Nut. Yeah. G Nut. Remember them? They had another, they had a group together. So Silky was already kind of making moves. I think she was performing at showcases at Jeffries and stuff like that. And um Silky put us on game about the cut and she had already made it. It wasn't on TV yet. You know the cut, the MTV the right. cut. Mm-hmm. Which was like American Idol before American Idol mm-hmm. was on MTV. So she told us about it. So my sister was like, okay, you had to go to LA to audition. And she was like, or you send your, de- your demo in and they'll let you know the time to audition. So we sent our demo in, I think. They told us, come on down to audition. So it was a big deal for us. So we all, and at this time we had formed a group. You know, we had said, okay, we're going to call ourselves the front line. It was three of us. We go down there. My sister, before we go down there, my sister says, hey, you guys are dope, but we need to add an element to it. And at that time, the Fugees was popping. She was just like, why don't we bring Shima in? Shima, who, was, who would eventually be on Mac Mall's song. She was like, yo, Shima has a dope voice. Why don't we put her on a what, song? What year was this? 98. Okay, wow. Yeah, whenever the cut was. Mm-hmm. So I got to say probably 98, yeah. 99. Um, Might have been 99. So she says, let's put Shima on this song, on a song with y'all. We, I think it'll go over better with MTV, so we did it, and then MTV, um, we auditioned. We didn't think we did well. We were just, they were just like, okay, well, thanks for auditioning. We was like, all right, well, damn, that was it. And then we end up, Shima ended up hitting up people in LA, and we, that's when we kind of met Passion. We start hanging around with Passion, who had already been established, and she introduced us to some people, um, one of them being Mike Concepcion, you know, from down there in LA. Um, funny story about that is, See, I got stories for days. I don't want to be going. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, man. 
So we parked. So we down. We all kind of like depressed because we like all oh, MTV didn't pick us. So she was like, oh, I'm going to introduce y'all to. Um, it wasn't passion. We did meet passion there. Matter of fact, we stayed at passion's house. She had this dope ass house up in the hills. Her husband was a producer. But she was like, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Dee Dee. She signed to this label. I don't know the name of it, but they connected in L.A. She's like, all right, this is the address you need to go meet at. Drive, we go to the address. I believe it was somewhere in Carson, California, or somewhere that was like the black neighborhood, but like a nice black neighborhood. Right, you know right, what I right. mean? It was like kind of upscale black because all you seen was like Range Rovers and Benzes and everybody driveways. So he was like, okay, we, this must be a heavy, but we don't know who it is. We pull up and we see two Benzes pull up side by side. One dude get out the Benz, go to the car, then leave out, go to the house, comes out the house, goes to the other Benz, opens the door, the other dude in the Benz gets on his back, carries him into the house. We like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> And then Dee Dee said, yeah, that's them. Or something. We're like, what? Or the guy, one of the dudes come out and said, y'all, come on in. We go in. He's like, so um, I've been hearing a lot of things about y'all, blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, y'all just hang back. We're going to bring y'all in there. So we just chilling in this nice house. We don't know what, what we doing. He's like, all right, Mike, want to see y'all. Bring y'all in. We go into the room. It's like a little home gymnasium. And they just like kind of sitting on the floor and on like a bench press. It's um, Ronald Isley from the Isley Brothers. Oh, <laughs> and it's Mike Concepcion. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know who that was at the time, but apparently at that time, I don't know, Mike didn't, he didn't use a wheelchair. He just had people carry him. Damn. It was like, yeah, this is Mike. You know, at the time we didn't know, but uh, Mike was like, all right, when, what y'all got? He put on the beat. We all start rapping. You know, left goes, he spits. High lips goes, he spits. I go. And he stops the tape. He's just like, he's like, hey man, he's like, you, you know, you, 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 you got, you got something. He's like, you remind me of that uh, that nigga from Bone Thugs. You know what I'm talking about, Busy Bone. He's like, I like y'all niggas. You know what I'm saying? And um, after that, they was like, yo, we want to work with y'all, blah 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 blah. But then we end up getting a call from the cut. The cut says, hey, y'all made it. Oh shit. We was like, what? He's like, yeah, come, y'all need it. So we had to stay in L.A. And do our first performance on the cut. And we end up winning that round. I think we end up winning like two rounds. And then we didn't, you know, and Silky obviously went on and won the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But we end up making connects with LA. Nothing ever came out of the Mike Concepcion thing. Um, I think he wanted us to do like a Christmas rap. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Left was like, man, we ain't doing no damn Christmas rap. <laughs> but um, but yeah, nothing really came out of it. But it did. That was like kind of our first exposure to the industry, the business. You know right, what I mean? Right, to right. an actual guy who had like record deals and record labels at that time. But at that point, at the very least, we came back to the Bay and people recognized us from the, the show. Mm -hmm. They was like, oh, that's the, oh, that's, you know. That's a that's the front line, front line, you know. That's a hell of a start. Yeah, yeah. That had to be ninety nine. I want to say. So, what was the plan um, to go the traditional Bay Area route of all right, let's make a record and press it up and go go juke it out the trunk, or was it? Oh, we got to get with a, a, a some type of label situation. You know, honestly, it was both. Uh -huh. I think because we did understand the Bay Area out the trunk stuff. So the first thing we did, we knew. 
oh, sorry, we're going to make a demo. But as we were making more songs, we kind of understood. We understood the out the trunk mentality. We understood the, um, the independent hustle. So we kind of were doing both. We were going down to LA, mm. meeting, rapping in front of anybody who we could. And then we also were like, we're making an independent album. During that time, I want to say around that time is when the battle rap stuff kind of started happening too. Okay. You know what I mean? And that kind of just fell into our lap. Yeah. I don't know what happened first because it was a lot of things going on at the time because at the same time, the wake-up show was happening with Sway. hmm So I want to say maybe that happened first and then Sway was... Um, used to have... Sway would come to the... Sway and Tech would come to the Bay maybe like once... You remember that? When they would come like once a month and do the wake-up show yeah. here in the Bay? because it was... Always on KMEL, even when it was recorded in, in LA. LA. Yeah. So I think they would, I think it started off in the Bay, then they moved to LA, but then they would come back and record um, shows in the Bay. And I remember going up there, okay, this is what happened. Left had called up there and was like, hey, we need to come up to the way because they would take calls. And it was like, well, we're going to be back in the Bay on this day and did it and we front line and we could do this, we could do that. And um, so they was like, well, come on up there and, you know, show us what you can do. Now, mind you, at this point, I had never freestyled before, like, on a radio show. I had never done any. I don't think none of us did, you know, not even like college radio, nothing. But we loved the wake up show. You know, that was that hip hop essence yes. that, that we loved. And it was something tangible that you could actually get to here in the Bay. Shout out to Sway for providing that. So if he was like, OK, we went up there and it was a gang. I want to say, I don't know who was up there, but everybody from the Bay was up there. It was anybody that was a rapper. I just one of the main people that I remember. It was um, Planet Asia was up there. Mm-hmm. I want to say Planet Asia and, and Roscoe mm-hmm. was up there, um, and then Mike T was up there. Okay, and somehow I don't know how this happened, but everybody got like eight bars to rap. So you know it was just like in a line. And no, Planet Asia, you know, because he was more established at that time. You know, he had the album with, um, you know, with Roscoe or the Cali you know, Agents. Cali Agents. Yeah. So it was, they were about to have that album it was about to come out. So they were like popping for show at that time. So we were looking at them like, man, they're doing it. So this was our time to shine. And eight bars, I just got on there and started spitting. And Sway and Technin was kind of like, oh, shit, like what's going on? You know, let this dude keep going for a little mm. while. Let him keep, let him stay up here. And then... Mike T came and somehow me and Mike T got into a battle <laughs> on air. Cause you know, anybody who knows Mike T, shout yeah, out to, shout Mike, out to T. Mike T. Man. Legendary Berkeley, like Oakland battle rapper. Yeah. Somehow we just got into a battle. It was just, it was like an indirect battle. And it was just like, oh, you know, and people just like kind of loved it. And then that's when I kind of started making my name as like nobody knew Frontline at all. But I was making the names like, oh, that kid Locksmith, you know? Um, that was like kind of my first time. And then me and Mike T ended up doing another battle just impromptu again um, at Rasputin's in Berkeley during the talent show. And Mike T was like, which one of y'all motherfuckers is Locksmith? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we ended up having a battle right there on the corner. It was one of the most, it was one of the funnest things ever, man. Wow. You know what I mean? That was like me getting my, you know, underground hip hop stripes. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Understanding like the battling thing but that, it was super dope super fun well that was a time when I that was still thriving in the bay right like yeah because I remember getting on the bus and hearing people freestyle I remember walking around the corner at a show and seeing people ciphering 
and and definitely battles and all that stuff. It was just kind of in the air. Yeah. Whereas I I don't know I'm, I'm maybe I'm looking in the wrong places, but I don't really see it popping off like well, that. Well, you know what though? Because then I think the energy there was no other way to expend your energy. There was right. no internet. Right. There was right. no social media. So right. And, and, or the only way to get noticed was you had to do it in person right. in front of people. And that reputation goes a long way. Of oh, I seen that dude before. Bro, he spits. That was the only way to build up a rep. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so battling Mike T, even though it was in Berkeley, there was a crowd of people, I gained a reputation. So when I went places, it was like, oh, locksmith, people, it kind of, uh, I could see the light bulb go off in certain places. Like, I heard you a little bit. And then I think what ultimately gave me, and this is all pre anybody heard frontline, you know, um, even though we're a group, we are frontline, but because of the battling thing, I was starting to develop a name, which I didn't even know at the time, but independent of Frontline. And I think that came to the biggest, um, I guess, uh, uh, summit or peak is when um, the Source Unsigned Hype had their battle. You remember that? I don't remember that. You you know about that? So that was in the East Bay. Um, So I want to say 99, this was 99 or maybe 98. Yeah, 99. It was... We were sending our demos, like I said, we're still, we still are working on an independent album. We don't know what we're doing, but we're working on it, right? We following the blueprint of the two shorts, the E40s, because we right. know you can do that in the Bay. But we still are looking at what the East Coast is doing because we kind of we kind of already know that our music is a little bit more East Coast geared because that's the shit that we, you know, are really like listening to. We heavy into Wu-Tang, heavy into Nas and that type of stuff. Um we make a demo and we send it in to the source because we want to be an unsigned hype because at that point, the source... That's still a big deal, yeah. That's a very big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody... If you got an unsigned hype, you, you got a deal. You, I was going to say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we was like, hey, once they hear these East Coast people hear our shit, we're going to get a deal. And we, send in our, we send in our demo and I remember um, going to um, the little uh, Tower Records in Berkeley, which used to be Leopold's, when I was at Cal, going in there every day, checking for the new source, like, did we make unsigned hype? So then finally I called one day because they used to have the number in the source. I don't know, you remember that? You could call the source. I called the source. I'm like, hey man, what's up with the unsigned hype? Blah, 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 blah. We talking to the editor at this time. And he's like, yeah, we, we. he's like, oh yeah, y'all the kids from Cali. Yeah, man, your shit was dope. But um, unsigned hype, we already got to decide if this month it's actually this kid, this white kid from Detroit. <laughs> Dr. Dre is, is signing him. Like, man, some white kid. Like, who can that be? It can't be better than what we doing, you know? And um, they end up being Eminem. But he was like, yo, we are coming to the Bay Area on this day, such and such day. We we're like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, come to, come, to, uh, come to Southland Mall in Hayward at this address at this time, 10 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it's going to be unsigned hype. I was like, oh, okay. So we're thinking we're going to bring our demo play it. We think it's going to be something like that. And um, so we get there and uh, all three of us, we're a group at this time. And they're like, okay, sign your name. We're like, okay, we the front like, nah, sign your individual name. We're like, well, what is this? This is a battle. I'm like, what? You sign our names. And that was my first time being like in a real organized battle. Like, okay. I didn't. So basically it was like, um, I don't know, however many people it was, you know, you can imagine it's an open call for all rappers to come mm-hmm. and sign up. And um, I signed up and I just 
found out I had a knack for battling. I remember getting up there rapping because I think it was like an audition round where like everybody rapped for like 30 seconds. And based on that, they would take the best 32 people and those 32 people would go into the battle round. So, you know, just imagine like 100 or 200 rappers and you get up there and you rap and it was just like, okay, call your name. And then that means you move on to the round. And when I got up there and rap, it just, people was like, ooh, I was... I didn't know how to battle at that point, but I knew how to, I just had something in me, probably from my sister, watching my sister, I knew how to captivate a crowd. Yeah, crowd control, mic control. It was just something Mm -hmm. that just clicked in me. I know how, I just felt relaxed Mm. and going in front of the crowd and being like- Confidence. Yeah, I just had a confidence about being there. And I had, mind you, I had never done it before. Never. And um, this is like old school battles with the DJ and a DJ, beat. you don't know who you, this is all off the dome. Yeah. This is all off the dome tournament style battle. Yeah. Um. So, but however, I did realize something, that being my first battle, I started, so there's a technique that I had developed when we was doing those raps in San Francisco, which I carry to this day. They, because Left and the other guy in the group, they were so much more advanced than me in rapping. Like we would go in there to record songs. They would write their verses very quickly because they were more advanced. And I was just so slow. So what I started doing is we would go there and I'd be like, oh, y'all, let's go get something to eat. We would go to Southland Mall. I mean, excuse me, um, Stonestown Mall. And we hanging around, you know, hollering at chicks or whatever. I would be composing bars in my head. So when we got back, I would at least be like four, eight bars ahead of them so I could keep up with them. And then that's how I started developing writing in my head, you know? So by the time you fast forward six months or however when it was when that battle started, I kind of was like, okay. So they would announce like before the next round, okay, Locksmith, you're going to be against MC such and such. And I'd be like, okay. This nigga got some dirty shoes on. I'm a, you know what I mean? So I start accumulating the rhymes before I would have four, eight bars already ahead. You know what I mean? That I would just kind of, and my memory was good at doing it. So I was just like, okay, I know I'm going to have this. I know this going to hit. So I was kind of, so that's how I was able to fare so well. So I end up not winning the battle, but I end up getting all the way to the last round with me and another dude. And the other dude end up winning. But I got so much recognition from that. Like I remember Davey D being there. Just all Barry, um, Rob Reyes from M1 Promotion. You know, remember Rob? Um, mm-hmm. uh, all these, maybe even Chewy might have been there. You know, a lot of people, Bay Area people was like, yo, this cat, I was getting people's numbers. He was like, yo, hit me up, producers. I was like, okay, y'all, we, we in this Bay Area shit now. Like people, we officially, pretty much everybody that's doing rap in the Bay is starting to know about me, at least me or us, you right. know? And that was kind of like, or like um, we got thrown into the Bay Area stuff, you know? This conversation is tripping me out because I almost feel like... There's a lot of branches. <laughs> there's a lot of branches, but it's like, I think you're a little bit older than me, but there's still like a lot of nostalgia here. Yeah. And it's making me feel like, man, there was more shit popping before the internet. Yes. It was more... <laughs> yeah, because that was the only way it's you could do it. It's the only way. And now... Open mics, It's battles. like everyone's in their own little bubble yeah. where you're just on a phone and you can still exist and be popping in your own little space. Yeah. But what you're talking about of, you know, all the people who really matter being under the same roof. Yeah. And multiple times where that's happened. And then just shit like that, like the source coming out here to host a, a, a freestyle battle and... yeah. 
I don't, that don't have the same, you know, and I know that excitement of like, oh shit, this yeah. is about to go down. We finna show up mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh, there's a flyer on Instagram. I like the flyer. And it was, maybe it I'll definitely go. was more um, community, like community. to a certain extent. Like yeah. you had to, you wanted to get into these communities so you can get opportunities, yeah. you know, and you was in it. And in the midst of those communities, you start building relationships, which would open other doors. So yeah, it was, it has its pos- positives and its minuses. I think the positives that I get to carry from that era is because it built up a callus of being in front of people. Yeah. So when I go on a radio show with K Slay, rest in peace, Sway, or any other place, I was built from that. So it doesn't feel foreign for me to be like, okay, rap, you know, like I built up the callus to be like, okay, you know, I might have a little anxiety, but I'm used to that. Whereas if you only are just rapping in front of your phone or in front of your thing, you know, there's no pressure. And that's true because you see a lot of these guys who have a hot buzz or a viral song and then you go see them live and they suck. Their back is is to the crowd. You know, they don't, back then, the only way you could get noticed, you had to be able to do it live. Wow. And, um, and that still translates today because the things that I do now that I lean into, that I use to, to promote my brand and my music are the fact, is the fact that I can do things that a lot of rappers don't have that skill set. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, I can do that all day. You know, I can rap in my car. I can rap on the radio. I can do that because that's what I came up doing because you had to do it. Yeah. It was a necessity. Um, but yeah, so, but that was the thing, man. It was, it was definitely dope, man. And then that, um, there was another uh, source battle that happened maybe two years later. And then that was really like the whole Bay was there. So by this point now, that's where we meet Mr. Fabulous, who would be Mr. FAB. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But he, back then he was Mr. Fabulous. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's when we end up connected with Mr. Fab and Gary Archer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when he was on his before the Thiz, you know what I mean? When he was just doing his independent thing. Um, that's when we start hearing about Clyde Carson and the team, you know. this. So I want to say this is probably like 2002. Right. You know, 2002, um, maybe maybe two, 2001, something like that. Um, once again, I go up there, I'm, I'm battling people. People start like, yo, this kid Locksmith is dope. This kid Locksmith is nice. Um, and... You seen all around everybody from the Bay. If you rap, you was there. Know the Piper, um, uh, little Larry from the West Oakland. Um, all those guys was up there. Who else? Um, everybody who was a rapper was there. You know, even if you even if you wasn't rapping, you was there. You know, so it was just dope, man, to have everybody out there. And um, yeah, it was a community, bro. But it was every it was tense. Everybody wanted to win. Everybody won, but it was respect, you know. And it built that. It built that those battle scars that you know. It's an exciting time for for the Bay Area. It was dope. At, at what point does EA Ski come into the picture for y'all? So, and if I'm skipping ahead, feel free to. Yeah, I'll to, go back a little bit. So, okay. like I said, that thing at the um, that second source battle, we meet Mr. Fab. We meet a bunch of other rappers. Um, I want to say, damn, now I'm just remembering that. I, I think Fab, and um, he was working on Nig Latin. Fab invited us to his um, video shoot. I remember going to his video shoot. Um, and 
we're working on, at this time, Frontline is just two at this point. What happened to Hot Lips? Hot Lips moved. Okay. Moved. So me and Left was like, all right, well, we got to keep pushing. Like, what are we going to do? We still had him on some of the songs, but we need to finish the other songs. We was like, all right, we're just going to do eight bars a piece on the last verse. You know what I mean? Um, and we, we're compiling our first demo, which would be our first album, which would be called Frontline, the bootleg album. We put that in Rasputin's. We go to Balance. Everybody knows Balance. Balance was the buyer <laughs> at Rasputin's, yeah. Balance, I had already knew him because we were doing ciphers and stuff with Balance. We were doing um, little shows in Berkeley and in San Francisco. We meet Balance. Um, Balance is, is like, yo, I work at Rasputin's. Y'all want to put something in? We'll do it on consignment, blah, blah, blah. So we raise our little money to put our album together. I think it might have cost us like 800 bucks to press up our first you know, it was a little more expensive back then. Maybe first 200 CDs, it cost like 800 bucks yeah. or something to press up. And uh, we went to Balance and Balance was, um, was like, hey, if these sell out, I'll buy more, sell them for this amount. But I know we were, we made enough money to pay back my sister or my mom who loaned us the money to press up the CD, press up these CDs. Put, put like 50 in Rasputin's or 100 in Rasputin's. We had 100 ourselves to pass out, give it to people. Cameo starts having these battles on on the radio. That's with um, Big Vaughn, Big right? Vaughn. Yeah. Mr. Fab is on there. Um, various other artists yeah. are on there. Killer Keys. Killer Keys. Shout yeah. out to Killer Keys. Uh, rest in peace, right? Yes. You know, rest in peace, Killer Keys. Um, Clyde. Shout out to Sk- uh, Selsky. Mm-hmm. Um, the team is on there freestyling. And, um, and everybody in my crew, Balance, Left, we're recording at Poor Man's Studio. This Now we're recording at a real studio. We're recording at Poor Man's Studio in Richmond. I'll never forget. They was like, yo, Locke, you need to get in that. You need to get in that. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I haven't, I didn't really, I was kind of still shy a little bit. They was like, nah, you need to get in that. You need to get in that. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. Um, Balance hits up Rob Reyes because we that was, I think, the only person we knew that had a connection to the radio station. And Rob had already knew me from the battles, from the um, from months earlier when I was doing the source battles. He was one of the people that came up to me like, yo, your shit's dope, you know? So Rob was like, oh yeah, that kid Locksmith, bring him up here. He brings us up there. So after the battles every week, um, Vaughn would have the next group of MCs or group of rappers come in and like decipher, spit like, you know, 16 or eight bars or whatever. And when I got on there, they, everybody was like, ooh, you know what I mean? And I think everybody, I'm, I'm going to say Rick Rock was up there. That's when I first met Jack, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? The Jacka, Hustler. I want to say, I don't know who else, maybe AP9 was up there with him. The, uh, um, yeah, so it was a few of them up there. Um, but uh, we get up there and everybody came up like, man, yo, Yoshi, you was spitting, bro. You was spitting. And Vaughn was like, okay, next week we're going to have the locksmith up here or maybe the week after that. Um, yeah, because the next week was going to be Fab and Clyde Carson. So at that time, Clyde Carson was up there murdering. He was just murdering the ciphers. You know what I mean? He was just, and Clyde kind of had like an East Coast. So we respected Clyde. You know, we had already heard, I want to say his demo. I think Balance had played it. He was like, yo, this dude's spitting. Like, you know what I mean? I think he was getting production from, forget the guy name from the East Coast. Um, so... And Fab was doing his thing. Um, Fab had Nick Latin out at the time. I want to say, yeah, it was out. And Fab had, Fab was, you know, connected. You know, Gary Archer, they was doing big things. But 
I ain't going to lie. And this is no disrespect to Fab. And he proved us wrong. I just assumed that Clyde was going to beat Fab. Because Clyde was more like on the lyrical type shit. But Fab was a better freestyle. And Fab had no fear. So when they went up there the next week, Fab won. I was like, oh shit. In my mind, I was like, I was already gearing up, prepared for, you know, for Clyde and Fab, you know what I mean? End up uh, taking care of business. And I was like, oh shit. I was, I was like, I got to get ready for Fab. I just wasn't expecting that, you know? And then we end up battling. I end up winning and end up winning for like several weeks. And then, then I really, but I was always um, shouting out frontline and playing frontline songs on the radio. Okay. You know, um, because if you won, you got to play a song. Uh-huh. So my whole goal was like, I want to win these battles so I can play our song. Because I felt like, man, if people hear our songs, and Left is doing all the production at this time. So Left is producing, we rapping, and we had a song called Workout, you know? Um, and that was kind of like the song that people liked the most. So we would play that every night after the battle. And then I want to say people like Rick Lee and My Emotions start playing it in the mix. And I want to say even Scotty Fox will play it in the mix at night. And was like, okay, we popping. You know yeah. what I mean? We up. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so EA Ski didn't come until the MTV battle. Mm. Oh, the Freestyle Fridays on MTV. The, free, yeah. the Freestyle yeah. battle. So that was the biggest thing. Uh-huh. That was the cement. Yeah. Um, so after building that reputation, every Friday night, Sway comes to town. I was like, hey, MTV is having a battle. We taking the best MCs from across the country, and who's going to you're going to be performing on MTV, and the winner is going to get a record deal and all and this money and ten thousand dollars or whatever, whatever. This is with like Blind Fury and oh, no, before oh, Blind. Okay, this is okay. the Blind Fury is the second uh, volume. Okay. The first okay. volume is the one I'm talking about. So Jen, Jen in this? No, Jen okay. was. 106 in Park. Oh, uh, okay. So okay. Jen at this time is already on yeah. because Jen wins 106 in Park. So he signs with Rough Riders. Rough Riders. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I was going to go to 106 in Park because everybody in the hood in Richmond in the barbershop was like, man, Locke, you need to be on that shit. We gonna... So they was going to be like, look, we're going we gonna, to um, piece together some money to get you a plane ticket to send you to New York so you can get on this. Mm. But then Sway comes and it's like, hey, we about to have this in the Bay. We're going to have an audition. I'm thinking like, well, I've already won the Cam Yale battles. I should just be able to get it. And they're like, nah, you got to come in and start all over again. So they have a battle out here in San Francisco. Um, everybody was here once again. You know, Fab, A-Wolf, um, anybody, you name it. Just regular niggas in the street. What they doing? They battling me. They walking in. You know what I'm saying? D.O., was you up in there? Was you, did you go to that? Do you remember that? You wasn't at that battle. But it was a Frisco battle. You had um, rappers in there. You just had hood niggas. You had everything in there. You know what I mean? But um, I think many. He probably yeah. was. Yeah. I remember like everybody, Selsky, everybody was up in there. Killer Keys. Um, everybody who had been in the cameo on air battles, they were there um, with a bunch of other people. And I end up winning that battle. So they was like, Locksmith, you win. We sending you to New York. I go to New York, which was a huge deal for me. It's my first time in New York, you know, in that capacity. In Times Square, I'm meeting people. I'm, you know, I'm like, but I remember um, just being like, yo, I got to play it cool. I want to win this thing. You know what I mean? Like, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. So I get up in there and I'm just starting to, um, you know, it's, it was like a week long thing. You battle like Monday through Thursday it was like, the, um, it started off like 200 
or no, it started off like 10,000 battlers. But because I won the radio, they had like five people from across the country. If you won in your region, you get to skip over the audition and go straight to the battle round. So they had like four allotted spots to get into the battle round. So once I get into the battle round, um, I remember just like everybody else was just like rapping their ass off backstage. I'm like, I ain't saying shit. I'm just going to watch everybody, steady everybody. So when it's time to battle, nobody will see me coming. And it, it proved to be a good strategy. And I just start like um, battling, just chopping dudes' heads off. And it got all the way to the um, to the final round against me and Rain Man, who's now RJ Payne, mm. who's killing it, you know, underground um, on social media and everything. Um, but uh, I didn't win the battle once again, but I came home and I was a Bay Area celebrity. I was C-minute, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, man. Wow, <laughs> what an exciting time. Bro. It's also making me think like, damn, how much more valued like lyricists were back then. Yes, and that was it. Because I was so excited. I remember like even as a fan, as a kid watching battles, how exciting that was. So, I, uh, And we'll get into, um, you know, you've battled in like the the grind time type of circus. The newer era. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I have a lot of respect for that too. But to me, honestly, I like the old school shit of, DJ. It was a DJ. 30 second then. rounds, you one minute round. You don't know who you're battling, as yeah. opposed to like, you got three months to, mm-hmm. you know, memorize five. It's a different, it's a different skill set. Yeah. It's a different skill set. But back then, that was definitely. Um, it, it just was more electric, bro. Like, and that, a different that energy. vibe. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I think they serve different purposes. Sure. You know, um, but coming back from that battle, like I said, we was, um, and I was shouting out, that was the first time I was like, the new bay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like the new bay, the new bay, and I wasn't even saying it like this was some phrase. It was just saying like, "Yo, we, we's the new bay." You know what I mean? Like this is a new iteration of the Bay Area because up at that time it was everything you know from JT, Magma, Too Short, Ford. Like they were cemented. Yeah. They had major labels uh, yep. deals um, at some point in time. So we were like the new cats coming up. So I was just trying to so like, "Hey, we coming? We from the bay?" And we were very proud of that. I remember I had to recognize the bay shirt on. Um, and I came home, a lot of people reached out to me saying, Quinn, um, who at that time, that was my, I mean, that still is, I gotta say, if I gotta say all time favorite Bay Area rapper is San Quinn. Like when I, as a Bay Area lyricist or somebody who's striving to be a lyricist, San Quinn, I mean, you had like Seagrams and, and, da- and Dangerous Day and those earlier on, but Quinn was like, my modern day, I was like, I wanna be better than him. Yeah. Like that was my goal. Like I, if I can get better than him, you know, and he was just dope. And I think him and Silky did some stuff together. And I was just like, yo, Quinn is ill. So I wanted it. So, you know, and I, every time I talk to him, I show him that respect. And, you know, uh, we was able to do songs later on, but I just, he was the pinnacle of like Bay Area lyricism for me. Absolutely. Was saying Quinn. So mm-hmm. nothing can take that away from him. He's, he's still up there in my eyes. But um, I just looked at Quinn as being the dopest. So to get a shout out for him, 40, um, eventually Mac Dre, end up meeting Mac Dre. Um, and um, yeah, and then that's when a time, around the time when EA Ski, Balance was working with EA Ski at the time. And um, we just wanted to get a beat from EA Ski. So we was telling Balance like, hey man, can you connect us with Ski? We, you know, we want to get a, want to get like a beat from him. And um we end up connecting. I met him by over there by Lakeshore at the burrito shop. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I got some beats for y'all. And he gave me a CD. He's like, this the beat. He didn't even let us pick. He was like, this the beat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which would end up being the beat for what is it? You know what I mean? And um, he gave us the beat. And um, 
it wasn't my favorite EA ski beat at the time, but I still liked it. Left was like, oh man, this ain't what we want. I was like, dude, let's just do it. We trust in him. He's an OG. He knows what he's doing. Let's just do it. Yeah, I mean, at that time, he's a multi-platinum platinum artist. You know yeah. what I mean? And he's cementing himself back in the Bay Area. Like, he's back in the Bay Area now working with independent. You know, he had the Can't Get Enough with San Quinn. Uh-huh. Um, he's doing stuff with 40. You know, he's kind of re-cementing himself in the Bay Area. But he has a sound to me that is that's global, you know, it's cemented because he's already done stuff, you know, the trigger got no heart with Spice One and yeah. Naughty by Nature. So he's just like, he's already a legend. He's ROG. So we like, let's listen to him, let's do it. I come up with the bars, left come up with his bars, we send it to Ski. He's like, come to my studio. So first time going to his studio, he's like, I'm gonna do a verse on it. I got the hook. Mm. We lay, we he's like, I want you to re-record it here. We like, all right. Think we recorded our first version like at the at the grill, you know. Um, we we're working on our album at the time, so and, and now this time we're just buying a beat to get on our album. We go to ski, um, and we record, and he's telling us how to re-record. He's like, "Nah, say it like this. I want you to have he's this inflection." Really producing you. He's he's vocally producing us. Yeah, and then he gets in there and he does the hook. Now I'm gonna clear this up. Because still to this day, Ski wrote the hook for what is it? He's performing the hook for what is it? What is it? Whatever you might want it to be. This was a very popular phrase in the Bay Area. Everybody said, what is it? Right? Mm -hmm. Remember that. Of course. Everybody, once the song comes out, not once it comes out, but once it eventually becomes a Bay Area hit, you know, it's playing in the clubs. We didn't know that at the time. Ski knew it. Ski was like, he played it for some DJs. My emotion, other people, they was like, yo, give me this. I can play this in the club. It starts off in the club. It does not start off in the radio, on the radio. That was another thing. There was no internet, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the internet, but nobody was really going there for streaming. There was no music streaming. Once the song starts bubbling, you start hearing people like, oh, man, they stole. What is it from us? They stole. We had a song. What is it? Because this is such a known saying. Hella people, people from Frisco, Oakland, Richmond, everybody had a song called What Is It? But that was the genius of Ski to know this is a saying that's in the Bay Area. I'm going to make this a song. Yeah. So people start coming up to us like, hey, man, you know, that's our song. I'm like, bruh, it's a saying. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's three very common words. <laughs> what, what is what it? What is it? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like having a song called Hyphy. I mean, everybody yeah. was hyphy. Yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? But anyway, um, the song What Is It? Blows up, you know what I mean? And um, our relationship with Ski just gets more, um, well, actually, even before it blows up, Ski was like, hey, I want to produce y'all. Let me kind of come in. We think y'all, we think, you know, him and his partner, CMT. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, we think that you guys are dope. Let us um, have more. We want to, we want to, you know, let us kind of like uh, mentor you in this music. Let us produce you. So that's kind of how that um, relationship developed. Yeah, well, that was... I mean, it still is a banger. Yeah. It's crazy that you're kind of organically building with Fab and Balance and That already exists for sure, yeah. And this idea of the new Bay because it kind of fell in perfect timing-wise with what became the hyphy movement. Yeah. yeah. But now that we're talking, I mean, y'all are definitely, I think, considered part of the hyphy movement. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you this. This is why, I'm going to tell you the first time I heard the word hyphy Maybe not the first time, but this is the most memorable time. 
So after the MTV battle, or even a little bit before that, when we were already kind of networking with Fab, the team, we would do these shows in Berkeley. It would be our show, but we wanted, but we would have openers or other people. I wouldn't say openers, but like a showcase of all the people we fuck with. And we had one show where it was us, Balance, Mr. Fab, Team, Jay Dandridge. Remember Jay Dandridge? Uh, I don't recall Jay Dandridge. Yeah. Okay. Jay Dandridge, yeah, from from uh from from Oakland, Berkeley. You know what I mean? We was hella cool with Jay Dandridge at the time. I was Selsky, I don't know, but everybody was there. This, you know, and Blake's, it was in Blake's, mm-hmm. which was underground in Berkeley, you know, very small spot, but that was our first time, like it was like sold out, packed. Um, and I think a lot of that had to coming back from the MTV shit. People was like, so this is before what is it? But uh JT. Fig came through, you know what I'm saying? Um, EA Ski came through because it was it was popping, you know what I mean? And um, all those people formed. So we was already building with these people. And I remember it was some youngsters or some dudes just in the front, just going too, like they was getting too aggressive. <laughs> and it was they was from Oakland, you could tell. And I was like, Fab, what's up with your people? He was like, man, they just hyphy. You know what I mean? I was just like, what? You know, The term, it didn't sound foreign to me because... I guess we was already kind of using it or, but that was the first time, I don't know, it just stuck out into my head to hear it being associated with music and people because it was music playing and they was getting hyper, but it was like a different kind of hyper. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of yeah. aggressive. I think we, we've had this conversation a lot. This is how I always remembered yeah. the term is what you just said is someone, someone's getting a little too aggressive. Little someone's too aggressive. partying a little too hard. Yep, partying too hard. You know what I'm hard. saying? Some weapons might be coming out pretty soon. Yeah. Someone might have had a little too much Hennessy. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of got transformed, into, especially now. Yeah. People look back on it like, yeah, we hyphy. Ivy was violent at first. Ivy was violent. You know, so that's why I was just like, uh, like, you know. But that was the whole um, hyphy. So that was the first time I kind of heard the word. It was an Oakland thing. Well, what I, what I was getting at is that y'all had this New Bay movement, which still kept going, but it, I feel like it almost got swallowed in it or even eclipsed by the hyphy movement, mm-hmm. which had a lot shorter of a shelf life in terms of how sustainable it was yeah. to keep that going. I mean, it's still established, all y'all. Mm-hmm. As the, like, like you said, you have this, I guess you could say the old guard, like yeah. JT, Quinn, uh, you yeah. know, 40, whatever. And then now you have, it's like, oh shit, there's a whole bunch of new cats from every, all these different cities in the Bay and it's mm-hmm. new sound and it's, and it's dope. But then it kind of got, like swallowed into uh, the go stupid go dumb kind. Yes. No, we. Yeah, the showcase did a thing about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were just like I said. I said it on MTV just as saying, you know, new bay. I wasn't saying like it was a movement. I was just saying like we the new bay. Like we just some new dudes from the bay. And then we just start saying it in a song. We did a song and then it just kind of morphed into that. But the hyphy thing, yeah, we were there at the ground floor of that. You know, that was an Oakland thing. You know what I mean? That was an East Oakland thing as far as my understanding of it. That's the way I witnessed it. Well, it all started with Keek, right? That's That's what I was going to say. I remember, so we were personally huge fans of Keek the Sneak. Um, We were fans of Three Times Crazy. Of course. Um, EA Ski had worked with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
But Keek in particular, we were just not only a fan of his uniqueness, but we were a fan of how he moved independently. Um, the high tech album and oh, yeah. Rick Rock. We just love yeah. Rick Rock's beats. Like yeah. Rick Rock was so dope. Um, even from when he was doing stuff with like Big Lurch and all that kind of stuff, we was like, who is this dude? I didn't even know it was Rick Rock at the time until later on. I was just like, oh, he's producing, um, you know, here come kick this thing. Yep. Don't, don't, don't. And we was just like, and we were trying to be like, what is this? And we were like, we were hearing it in the streets and we would go to buy it and it was sold out everywhere. And we was like, bro, like, um, this dude is like, whatever this guy is doing, he's dope. So then by the time we get to um, 2002, 2000, 2003, we're doing shows with Keek. We're seeing um, T-shirt. We heard T-shirt, blue jeans, and Nikes before 40 was on it, you know, because EA Ski was cool with Kobe. That was his name, who's managing Keek at the time, right? Yeah, Kobe. Oh. Cole was managing Keek, so he was always in conference with EA Ski because EA Ski was obviously producing for Keek and he was playing him certain songs. And then they made, I remember it was a big thing. They made the decision to get 40 on um, T-shirt because when I heard T-shirt, I was like, this is a smash. This is before 40. I was like, when Ski played, I was like, this is the hardest shit ever. I was like, don't, don't, don't. I was just like, this is hard. And then um, at this time, 40 was like, had already, he was like, already established as a legend, but Keek was like the new energy in Oakland. You know, he wasn't doing what we was doing. He was like kind of already cemented from Three Times Crazy, but he was just already like... He's going on his solo, on his solo. He was on his solo thing. Yeah. And he wasn't, you know, he was he was established, but he was like his solo thing. He was just had a different vibe, a different energy to it. And we was like, this dude is raw. And he was just like, and he wasn't, I mean, he was still, you know, sitting about my hand on my strap, but he was still rapping more clear at that point. Like, you know what I mean? So even from a technical standpoint, and I'm not saying as a knock, he developed into that style. But as a lyricist, I was like listening to that, you know what I'm saying? Listen, like, yo, he's rapping, like he's rapping some dope shit. We young guns itching to get you to itch, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? I was like, what is this? Like he was, he was, he was just the way he was using his syllables phonetically I was like this dude this is dope mm. so we had a huge amount of respect for it and um, we was doing those showcases at like or those p shows at like Kimball's in Oakland you know what I mean in the beginning when he was performing two short uh, um, excuse me t-shirt blue jeans and Nikes and um, so we was that's when you hear people kind of mum uh, mumbling hyphy movement I was like well what's that but we're kind of we're just kind of on the 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 same timing as that. It just well, it, it's crazy because I don't think uh, obviously this isn't what y'all were going for intentionally, but EA Ski's production and the and the songs y'all were making just fit, it fit perfectly. Right in there, yeah. Especially with like the team, uh, you know, and the, oh, these are all songs on the radio. Yeah. So you got like uh, team like it's getting hot in here. Yeah. You got Mr. Fab super sick with it. Super sick with it, but that was um yeah that yeah, that was a little bit later. A little later, a little but bit later. This yeah. is the kind of this vibe. This is all that within you're... yeah. This is all within twelve months. Yeah, yeah, for Federation, sure. Federation. Yep. All this, all this stuff is coming on on the radio, and it kind of all blends together. And, and so, did Skeep, He produced your whole debut album. No, so he only produced um. So our first album was completely independent out the trunk. That was called Who Are You? Ski, I want to say, produced maybe. Three songs? Okay. That's it, right? He produced What Is It? He produced um another song. He was, I was forget. The, it was like Bang It. That so okay. Was so that Bang another? It wasn't on there at oh, first. Okay, okay. 
we had what is it? We put it out independently, out the truck. I'm driving, literally, I'm in my truck. I'm driving Berkeley, San Francisco, Santa Rosa, out the trunk, delivering them on consignment. We have a song on the radio now. We have a history through Rasputin's from selling independent stuff. So now at this point, Balance is like, all right, I'll buy 200 CDs from you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I know they're going to sell. We go into Tower Records. We get a call one day. I get a call from Violet Brown. Violet Brown is the head of the distributor Tower and all this stuff. Warehouse music, warehouse records and all that stuff. I'm like, who is this? She's like, yeah, um, I'm here. I'm looking for Frontline. Or I was like, yeah, this is Locksmith for Frontline. She's like, oh, I, I want to talk to you about this record and, and blah, blah. I'm like, what? I was just like, well, I was like, and she so asked me, she was like, oh, you're working with EA. So EA Ski had already knew Violet Brown from, you know, his, you know, being in the industry. They connect. They put us in touch with Neil Levine, who is the head of Penalty Records, which is under Warner Brother Music. He starts hearing about what we got going out here in the bear. He's like, what? He's like, how are you guys getting these spins on the radio? You know, because by this time, what is it? It's getting 40 spins a week on KMEL, 40, 50 spins a week on 94.9. It's, it's in Santa Rosa. It's getting this in San Diego, Las Vegas. So they're like, yo, this is a movement going on. They fly out to our show at um, Mission Rock. We perform our record release album. Um, we perform our record release at Mission Rock. And um, he flies out. Neil Levine flies out. He says, he signs us on the spot like, yo, I see what y'all doing. We signing y'all. We signed a deal with Penalty. Um, he says, okay, we, we want to put this album out again, but we got to take out the songs with the samples. Because uh. Left was heavy using samples. You got to record some new songs and we need a new single. What is it is already dying down now. We need a new one. We go back in. We create some new songs. We still don't have a single. Skis is like, we got this track. It's called Bang It. He already got the hook on it. It's a different beat, though. Not the one. It's, it's got pianos in it. It's more dark. We love it, though. We like this shit. It's hard. We do our verses. I tell Ski, like, hey, let me do the chorus. Since you did the last one, I want to try to do the chorus. You know what I mean? So I did my, play my, bang it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Play my song in the club. They bang it. He's like, okay, that sounds fire. We're going to keep it that way. We play it for some DJs. Put it out there. My emotion. My emotion says it's hot, but the piano is dope. But it's it's not. It don't really go with what's going on right now. You want it, You don't want it to even miss a beat. Skis like takes it back. He changes it. Puts a more like modern kind of like the musical side. I like the piano better. But then he changes it. He puts that little that little sound that was popular at the synth. time. Like the little synth, synth sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was the synth it's in almost there. like with Lil John, kind of like Lil John. It was, this, it was the sound at the, yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Becomes a hit. You know what I'm saying? Ryko's like, that's it, let's go. You know what I mean? Well, we, we put out the album globally through Ryko, uh, through Penalty, Ryko, Warner Brothers, or whatever. And um, yeah, and then that was our introduction to actually being in the music business. You know what I mean? We have a little bit of a budget. That was our first time saying, okay, we're going to give y'all some money to shoot a video. We shoot the little low budget Bang a video, we go down to LA, you know what I mean? Um, but uh it was a Bay Area classic, you know what I'm saying? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that shit dropped, man. And now the hyphy movement is in full swing. Yeah. Full yeah, swing, yeah. for sure. So then now so now uh you're on a major label. The well, we're on a subsidiary, subsidiary. of a major okay. label, yeah. The Bay Area is getting nationwide attention. Um 
But I feel like the front line didn't, y'all didn't really stick together for much longer after that. Yeah, no. So the plan was, I mean, you know, I never really had plans to do anything solo. My thing was always the group first. We did record another album, um, Lock and Left. Right. We did that um, completely independent again. We So what happened is Penalty ends up folding. Mm. This is also a time when the music industry just goes through so many changes. Hella changes. All the stores close. This is, so this is 2007. Yeah. The internet is coming. The internet is in full People swing. are consuming music differently. MySpace. Now. Everything. Yeah. MySpace is huge. Yeah. The digital era has is in full, full swing. Penalty collapses. And we like, all right, well, shit, what are we going to do? We already kind of start working on songs by ourselves, but Ski is like, nah, we get in, we start getting some interest from Def Jam. Ski plays our, some of our stuff from Def Jam, and they're like, yeah, we like them as a group. So we like, okay, let's do this. We need to, we're going to put these songs together and make it as a group. So we're doing, we're still, but even when we're working on solo stuff, we're doing it together. It's not like we are split. You know what I mean? Um, and Ski, and now Ski is producing the whole thing. Ski is like, I want to produce a whole album for, for y'all from top to bottom. Let me do it. And that was the Lock and Left album. We put that out. Um, it does well. It's still, we still move, you know, we still make Billboard um, for independent artists the first week. Um, but the, like you said, the game is changing. And then it was just kind of a lull. We didn't know what to do. We didn't really, you know, at this time, I had already graduated from college. Left is full deep in college now. Left is, um, so I stopped after um, undergrad, you know, I graduated. Um, left starts and he continues on to grad school because he has a family and financial aid, having campus, you know what I mean? It's kind of keeping his thing. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm continuing my education because we're making money, independent money, but we're investing so much back into it. We're not really, we still have part-time jobs at this time. Sure. You know, we were working with kids, mentoring kids in Richmond. So um, there's a lull. You know, we're still doing shows in the Bay Area, but we don't really know how to, you know, the game has changed now. We don't really know what to do. Um, and I take a trip to New York. Because um, at that time, we're still, we, were, we still had interest for some labels. So we go out there, we meet with some labels, and that's when I kind of get reintroduced to battling again. I'm like, oh, niggas is out here battling smack DVDs. Mm -hmm. They on the internet. I was like, what's this? You know, what's this? I was like, I think I want to do that again, you know? And then grind time, which happened to be in the Bay Area, I was like, okay, this is my shot. This is my chance to battle again. Worlds, you know, they battles his own world star and all that kind of stuff. I was like, and then that's how I kind of got to got to battling again. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was like kind of like the beginning of the new locksmith as a solo artist. Okay, so and then so Lev basically went to pursue education. He went to pursue time. education. He's still producing at this time. Okay. So as I'm starting to work on solo songs from battling, Lev is producing my first mixtape. My first two mixtapes, Lev is like producing like, you know, like damn near half the songs. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so we're still, you know, we're still best friends. You know, that's my brother. Um, but I think what happens is I just start getting engulfed into the New York scene. Through battling. No. So I do the battling mm. shit. That gets my name out there as a solo artist. I, um, so now the internet is super popping. YouTube is super popping. That's when you start seeing all the shit on the blogs. Yeah. You know, blogs is huge. Now, nah, all right, Two Dope Boy. Um, I'm looking and I see 
a new producer, not a new producer, but a producer named Ski Beats. Mm-hmm. Producer for Currency, yep. Jay Electronica, yep. Wiz Khalifa. He's with Dame Dash. Yep. They got a whole currency. They, they got a whole movement. He was also really ahead of the wave in terms of making content, beat videos. and That was creative control. Yeah, creative control. You know, who's control. behind Kanye's early videos. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's dope what they're doing. I reach out, or Ski, EA Ski, reaches out to someone, and, and they show my stuff to Ski Beats. And Ski Beats is like, hey, this dude is dope. Let's work together. And um, so finally, I'm like, what's up? Let's work. He was like, hey, man. No, I released a freestyle, and I, I didn't diss Ski Beats, but I kind of like, hey, Ski Beats said he want to work, but I ain't heard from him, something like that. And Ski reaches out to me on Twitter. I was like, hey, man, this is Ski Beats. He's like, if you want to work, just come out to New York. Let's set it. So I was like, when you need me out? He was like, can you come on this day? Like, I'm out there. I got a buddy pass. You remember them buddy passes on Southwest? <laughs> I had to look. This is the, the pink buddy pass. I hit up my cousin, Chris. I was like, hey, man, I need a buddy pass. You know, won't, 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 150 for the buddy pass. I fly out there and I just engulf myself into the New York scene. Once I got out there with Ski Beats, I start spitting for him. We did a whole album. He's just like, yo, this shit, Dame Dash is like, yo. We need to put out an album on Locksmith. Let's do this. So we start working and then um, I start building a relationship with people in New York and I end up recording a whole album with Ski Beats and Dame Dash and uh, we end up putting that out. This is like 2011. It's a trip, bro, because uh, like I said, I, I first got familiar with you in during the front line when Frontline was had those songs on the radio. Yeah. <clears throat> but just uh, from the outside looking in, like, You've never, like, lost a step, right? You've always been in the mix. You've always kind of kept your name out there. There's never been no periods where it's like, oh, what happened to that guy? Yeah. And I do remember this time that you're talking about working with with Ski Beats, and I remember thinking that it's very unique for a Bay Area artist to go into that direction. And I always like that when I see that because I think that's one of our biggest problems in the Bay is as big of a market as this is, and as many people from around the world are tapping in, there is that kind of big fish in the small pond mm-hmm. type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'm a big hip hop fan too, yeah, just I like know. you were saying, EPMD and Big Daddy. I fuck with all that Wu Tang, Nas, all that. And so it's kind of like the same thing when I had Souls of Mischief here, mm-hmm. and I saluted them because I'm like, man, y'all go in places where the Bay is not represented, yeah, and y'all represent for, sure. for us. And I feel like. You've done that too because you've worked with people like R.A. the Rugged Man, mm. Jedi Mind Tricks, mm. um, who, keep, who keep going well. <laughs> Ella, yeah. Slain. Come uh, on. Like, I mean, hella people. Like, when I, yeah, when I, like I said, when I went out to New York, me and Ski Beats, we were just like, kind of like how even it was with EA Ski, you know, like we just clicked. Like, I'm a, I'm a student. So I listen to people who are like, who I respect and who are like OGs and who have knowledge. So when I'm around Ski Beats, I'm like, this is the guy who produced for Jay-Z. He That's produced right. Jay-Z's first album. Yeah. I'm around Dame Dash, so I'm just soaking up game. I'm just listening, you know? I'm taking information that they're saying. I'm putting it in records. And they're like, yo, this guy Locke is incredible. Um, we're starting to get um, interest from Shady Records and different people. You know, like at this time, Dame Dash's DD-172 is like the shit. Like, it's popping. Like, they're like the hottest thing. They're even like... I can remember that time, they're even kind of surpassing what Jay-Z was doing at the time because they looked at Dame as like the independent underdog. 
And um, and I was a part of that. And this is when the underground is exploding, exploding. With, with the blogs and the everything. blogs, and they yeah. wanted that more. Yeah. So you know, here I am in a studio with currency with these different people. Everybody's coming through to the studio because Dame had this like three or four story art gallery where they had a studio there. So everybody's coming through, and I'm just like, man, I'm getting to like learn and be around all these people. And here we have Ski Beats, um. Producing my 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 album, I'm meeting people like Ra. I'm meeting people like Cam Cameron uh, Vado, uh, and I'm just like that's this is when I get super cool with K Slay because I had already met K Slay through EA Ski, but now I'm out in New York and K Slay's like, yo, come to my show, spit some bars. So I'm developing these relationships. Yeah, New York has that kind of cultural infrastructure that we don't quite have right now in the Bay of of uh, that type of thing where you could just we don't really have very many do we have any radio shows yeah, it's like, right it's now not, the platforms aren't the same platforms I mean, yeah. New York is an industry you have serious yeah, yeah, you have yeah. all these different platforms and blogs and media outlets it kind of comes from New York you know yeah. um, especially back then you know the blogs and the magazines that's where they were at this is 50 Um, you know, uh, now right. Like they was all, you know, from the East coast basically. So being out there at double XL, I was going to all these different offices, freestyling, rapping. So I'm developing a, um, a relationship with a lot of these editors and people. So once I did that, I was just like in full go mode and I just kind of, um, just my resources just expanded. Well, that's, that puts you on a trajectory that I feel like you're still on to this day, right? Yeah. I learned how to be. I mean, I learned the independent hustle from the Bay, but I learned how to move sp- specifically with content. I feel like I learned that while I was in those sessions with Ski Beats. I met like content video creators. I learned how important it was to shoot music videos and shoot content or whatever it was, like behind the scenes stuff. Me walking around in New York. Um, yeah, it was just like... a. And it just led to so many more opportunities. And I just, it was just that information. It was just a knowledge of what, um, a, a, a well of knowledge. Yeah. And then you've done like tours. You've had an international presence. and Yeah, man. I mean, I just, like I said, I, I took that information. It, 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 I learned how to independently navigate, put out mixtapes, put out independent albums, learn how to use the internet, learn how to use um, the blogs at the time. And then when the blogs died off, I was I was able to learn how to transition out of that. You know what I yeah, mean? because now you don't really need a blog no. because you have your own Instagram. Page. That's your blog. That's your blog. That's that's your Tumblr. That's your. T- I tell people sometimes you still see people who are like, I don't like doing content. I'm not a content creator. I said I'd be thinking like, motherfucker, MTV Cribs was content. Was you gonna turn that shit down if they said they wanted? Now you don't need MTV. You can just create it yourself and you have your own platform and your own channel and YouTube and Instagram you are, and yeah, TikTok. You, your own, you are your own channel. You are all that. Like when I see people, when I want people to come to my Instagram or my TikTok, I want them to be like, oh, damn, look at this dude. Like I can just, any day I open up my um my Instagram or my TikTok, is I'm going to see There's new something content, on there. Yeah. Something. Um, yeah. And that's what I appreciate about what y'all do too. I'll be like, oh, this is dope. I can see all these different clips about stuff in the bear. And when I have time, I'll go back and watch the, listen to the whole episode. So I just think that that's, uh, I was, I didn't realize it, but I was learning that early on in that time 
with uh, creative control and Ski Beats and DD-172? Bruh, if I told you, man, I was making content. I had a little flip cam in 2010 yeah. <laughs> and 2011. And I, that's why I'm raw with the video because I've been editing since then. But I look back on that and, I'm, and uh, there was this point where I got discouraged or whatever. I slowed down and I look back now like, God damn, if I had kept that up, for the last 10 years? Yeah. Oh, my the God. Content. Yeah, you know, but as an artist, man, we, we, um, you know, it's that struggle, especially because we come from an era before that existed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. The there was young, no guidebook to yeah, it. They, the yeah, the youngsters, they're like, oh, this is what we do. But I remember, like, there was a time where you did So I'm like, wait, I got to create a TikTok now? Yeah. Damn, like, yeah. I got to, you know what I mean? But this is, I don't, I try not to look at it like that. I try to understand it. And be like, okay, how can I utilize this? Um, I mean, I've been blessed to work with a lot of dope artists like that put me on the game. Like, I remember one my uh, my homie, uh, white dude, super incredible artist by the name of Echo. He, I met him on tour, and we toured together. And he got he got his shit really popping on TikTok. And he was like, "Yo, lot, you need to get a get on TikTok." I'm like, "Well." What am I going to do on TikTok? I don't know. Yeah, and he was like, bro, do the same shit you're doing on Instagram. Yeah. Just get on there. So first I had to just get on there, look at it. You got to kind of learn it and watch it. You got to invest some time. You got to yeah. invest some time, but mm -hmm. don't look at it as like, just like, you know, I mean, niggas are sitting and look at bitches all day. All day. Come on, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so sit up there and look at it and just like scroll and be like, okay, well, this is what's working and this is what not was working. Okay. Um, and it's, it's investing into your career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so I just look at it like that. And it's paid dividends, man, supremely, like, in the last year. Like, I've watched my Instagram go from, like, less to 100,000 to damn near 300,000 in mm -hmm. a year. And I've noticed um, there's a certain point where you're throwing up clips, right? And this is where I go back to, like I said, that point where I got discouraged. And mm -hmm. I know now, no matter what, just don't stop because— you might throw something up that might get a few hundred likes. You might throw something up that might get a few thousand likes. And then you might throw something up that just goes fucking viral. Yep. And you never really know which one of those clips, the shit that you think is, oh, this is it right here. It might be one of those lower performing ones. And some random shit, you're like, yeah, whatever, let's just throw it up. That might be the one that goes crazy. So right now, I feel like the name of the game is just staying in it and just staying consistent. I'm going to give a shout out to my brother, LaRussell. Sure. So, obviously, I have been on Instagram, you know, I, w I wasn't hip to LaRussell till about, I don't know, you know, 18 months ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had, and I'm seeing how he's moving. I'm like, damn, man, this young dude, this brother is really doing some dope things. So, it, I'm intrigued. I'm watching. I'm listening. I'm like, damn. I'm seeing his backyard performances. I'm like, man, that's super dope. As an artist, I'm like, well, what can I do? I don't want to copy that, but that's inspiring. What can I do that's dope? And I said, well, you know, it kind of reinforced an idea that I already was doing before. I was like, hey, I've been doing this lock lift thing. I did that back in 2016, 2015. And every, every album, I would do a version of the lock lift. And I noticed it would just perform better and better. And I was like, you know what? That shit start, that does better on social media than when I post clips of my music videos. Right. Now that people are consuming Music, that's how they're discovering. They discover music through TikTok. Yep. They discover music through Instagram. Yep. How can I reach a, a larger audience? I'm going to lean into this lock lift thing. 
What's the lock lift? Well, it's me taking a skill set that I developed from battling, from doing all these things, from being able to perform live. I write all my raps in my head while I'm driving around in the car. I'm going to perform this for my fans. Now I'm going to edit it in a way that I know this is just comes from studying TikTok, mm-hmm. from studying Instagram. I'm going to edit it in a way that will be when you scroll past it, you're going to have to stop and be like, what is this doing? Yep. And when I did that, when I first posted my first one, I was like, I got a good feeling this is going to do well, but I don't know. I posted, it does cool, not as good as I was hoping, but I was like, I've invested into all these things. Um, and I'm going to give a little bit of game so people who are listening to up-and-coming artists when you're yeah, doing your yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. So I shot bulk content. I shot a bunch of pieces of content in one day or in two days. I basically did all the lock lifts in one day. I shot like, I don't know, like 30 different pieces of content. I sh- every song I performed it five different times in front of five different audiences with five different reactions. So these are all individual pieces of content. What I had did before, before social media became what it was, I would just have a montage or a collage of all of them and release it and it'd be cool. Shout out to my boy Armani from Team Backpack, from World MC. Armani was like, because he helped me like when I was, when we first did the first kind of like test day of the lock, the lock lift, he was just like, you gonna, you gonna just make it all one? He's like, what about all this? I was like, well, he's like, nah, you need to use it all. And I was like, you know what? You right. I should use every piece because the name of the game was social media. The more content, you don't know which one is going to hit. Yep. So, and just real quick, the, yeah. the platforms reward you for the more that you use them. If TikTok sees that you're posting TikToks if consistently, if you're feeding it, it's going to reward exactly. you. Exactly. So I said, all right, you know what? We're using everything. Nothing's going to waste. I shoot all these clips. I got a bunch of clips. I take a book. I, I told the Russell this. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to schedule my shit. Mm-hmm. Schedule it out two, three weeks in advance. Take one day. I spent the whole day scheduling it. Boom, boom, boom. I don't even have to go in there and be like, oh, I'm just going to schedule it out. Schedule it out. Look, I'm like, oh, okay, it's doing cool. You know, first time I dropped it all, I didn't do that well. And then one of the motherfuckers hit. Then I start seeing all these different people sharing it. Dame Lillard, Shaq. Uh, celebrities, uh, you know what I mean? You name it, all these different celebrities, athletes reposting it. It's going, and now I'm starting to get more traction. I'm like, oh, okay, this should do work. It didn't happen at first, but after like a couple months, I started noticing it, and then it just starts snowballing, snowballing. And then then I start noticing it goes through waves. Yes. You know, you just constantly keep posting, you repurpose it. And the good thing about me is like, I have a vault of material that, my new fans, if I got a 200,000 new followers in the last nine, 10 months, they don't know about the stuff that I posted two years ago. Yeah, I can repurpose this in different ways. I can showcase it in different ways. And now it's new stuff. I get people hit me up like, yo, I just seen your new video with Ari the Rugged Man. I'm like, yo, that was from four <laughs> years ago, five, six years ago, you know? So I just repurpose it when there's downtime. You take interviews like you do now. You repurpose it. You keep. You feed the algorithm, and it'll reward you. Absolutely, man. I mean, I love this kind of talk because 
Yeah, bro. I took, uh, I took people, you know, ask me all the time how I did the history of the base shit or the podcast or whatever. And it's pretty much exactly what you said, man. I just looked into the shit. Yeah. And I figured out how it worked and I figured out what worked for me. Yep. I don't want to do, I'm not the type to really do trend dances. Yeah, and like shit I'm a like grown that. ass man. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, I like talking about rap. I like talking about graffiti. Yeah. I like editing videos. Let me fuck around with it. And, and you um, can see that because I'm watching your content. I'm like, oh, he going deep with it. Like, you know what I mean? So as a consumer, as an audience, I'm like, I'm I'm following. You know what I mean? Because right I'm like, on. this is this is what speaks to me. But see, know? that that what you just said, that going deep is what I tried to capture because as you know, if you love hip hop, it's always dope to be able to drop a jewel on someone. Yeah. Like you ain't never heard this. Yeah. Like, oh shit, I never I haven't heard this. When yeah. did they make this? Damn, mm-hmm. I never heard that. Mm-hmm. That's that feeling right there is what I try to capture in my shit. And um, Yeah, the the interview that you did with Quinn, that was so fire. That's probably my favorite one. Right. On. Because he's going in depth about that. And I'm just like watching. I'm like, oh, I remember this time period. Yeah. I, I you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember going to Quinn's record release party. Yeah. And uh at the Beehive in San Jose, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I remember, and I remember seeing it, I remember being like listening to the album, like, yeah. man, he got one drop Scott, he got Tone Capone, yeah, he got yeah, EA exactly, Ski, you know exactly. what I'm saying? I'm like, man, this album, you know, but um, to hear you guys talk in depth about that, that spoke to me, you know, and I feel like it's important for those type of platforms to exist. So, you know, that's why it's an honor for me to come on here and talk about it. Cause I'm like, this is, these are history in the making. This is giving other people information about how we got to this point where you can utilize these tools that are out here now, you know? Absolutely, man. It's all game. It's all like you said, that feeling of nostalgia, being able to capture that, uh, being able to be in a position where I can have conversations with you or Quinn or whoever and get them and get people comfortable enough to really share yeah, and, and to ask the questions that only someone like myself or you or someone who's really steeped in this yeah. would really know to ask and uh, man it's just getting fun and and but like I said my mission is I, I don't just stick to mob rappers I don't yeah. stick to Frisco rap I don't even stick to rappers yeah, yeah. I interview who, whoever a yeah, got a yeah, story yeah, the journalists everything come on, on man the so, Mac Dre yeah, the, the journalist about the Mac Dre that was yep. a fire shout out Donald Morrison man yeah. yes sir so um, it, would, it wouldn't be complete yeah. Uh, without getting you on here, brother? Nah, man. Now, D.O., he, he had told me about it. And um, I didn't even put it together that, that I was like, oh, this must have been what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. This is fire. So um, I was happy to come out. I mean, plus I got roots here in Frisco, too, because, I mean, I was, you know, I'm connected in so many different ways with, you know, Chuck and Dundeal and Big Rich and Don Torriano. Like, oh, another important thing is, that house, that apartment behind Stonestown Mall mm-hmm. that we was recording, that's the same place where Big Rich mm-hmm. and Don Toriano and um, Bailey fully loaded. So it was two people living in that apartment. It was Kamal and it was Dunce. I don't know okay. what he went by. Yeah. <laughs> so Dunce was producing for yep, yep. Fully Loaded, for Toriano, Fully yep, Loaded yep. them. And we were so, we our worlds was like kind of collide. We like, oh shit, so... Right. So that was that, that, that was the Frisco connection. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah. So this is how we learn about Big Rich. And he's like, oh, this San Quinn little brother. You know what I mean? And then we like, oh, shit. So all that was connected. So I was like heavy. And then Chuck Grove, y'all. Mr. 
Yeah, that was all Chuck. Yeah. Chuck did all the parties at Mission Rock. And Chuck was, I mean, that's a whole nother story. I mean, we was rolling with Chuck. Chuck tried to sign us. Like, come on over here. Fed tried to sign us. Like, look, I get y'all $2,600 for, for an album or something. Like, you know, being $1,600. We were like, man, we can get $1,600. You know what I mean? So Chuck, we was, but Chuck was like, that was like done deal. It was like a home away from home. You know, right, right. we was at the big rich uh, video. You know, I, I was at the big rich video shoot. I think I just uh, when I was doing the mess interview and putting the clips together, I seen you in the, uh, the boys were fully. Boys were fully. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we was up there. You know, where was that? That was was that in Hunters Point? I or think that? so. Yeah, that was at the point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, man, we really up in there. Because you know? <laughs> I had never really been. I had been to Filmo a bunch of times. I was you know running through Filmo and. All that kind of stuff, but Hunters Point. I want to say that was probably like my real first time. Right, like, man, right. This this Hunters Point. Yeah. No, I think it was a chick back in the day. I had one day I was hanging out and I was just like, I'm like, is it? She was like, yeah, pick me up here. I'm like, is this Hunters Point? <laughs> you know, back in the high school days, I'm like, this is Hunters Point. But um, yeah, man, Frisco is like, it's our Manhattan. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. like the Bay Area is yeah. New York City. Yeah. So. It was, uh, those were some fun times, man. You know what I mean? Well, you know, we represent the Bay. We represent the city to the fullest. And what, what we are trying to do is create one of those infrastructure platforms, like you said, like yeah. the K-Slay or, you know. And we, it starts here, yeah. It, it starts, starts here, man. We, we, we barely just passed our first year. So um, we're trying to keep an open door policy. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to have, uh, return guests, so hopefully, I'm sure there's so much more we so we, we, we could have talked yeah, about, yeah, for sure, for um, sure. and I'm sure we'll run it back. Yeah, yeah, down Hell the yeah. line. Hell yeah, um, yeah. Maybe one of these days it'd be dope to have you and Left. Yeah, yeah, we, we could arrange that for yeah, sure. Yeah, we could really cool. dive in deep. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, for now, bro. Thanks. Uh, anytime you need our support, of course, I always say that. Let us know. Yes, and, sir. Uh, History of the Bay podcast. Come man. on, man. The legendary. Locksmith, one of the greatest lyricists to ever come out of the Bay, y'all. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for watching, people. Shout out to the whole team. Shout out to the sponsors. Much love. Shout out to the whole Bay Area and the whole world. It's Dregs One with Locksmith, History of the Bay. Peace. Recognize where you got the game. We got our own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast thing. This is the history of the Bay. Recognize where you got the game. We got our own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast thing. This is the history of the Bay.